Hi, this is Savannah. And this is Brian from the Dorky Diva Show. And you're listening to Star Wars. The best place for below average Star Wars. The Dorky Diva Show presents... Why is this seat so much more comfortable? The long-awaited sequel to the adventures of the Zolandart audio drama. Have you seen the captain's datapad? Trying to work, Murph. Piloting the Zolandart by himself. You do understand the details of this particular job, correct? I've been on plenty of jobs like this. With you! Reldar Sias returns to a planet he thought he'd left behind for good. Is there a reason you didn't mention I was tagging along? Hopefully having you there will make others think twice about messing with me. Making new friends. Oh, you must be the pilot of the Zolan Dart, yes? I guess I am. And reconnecting with old ones. Reldar? Vera? What are you doing here? Until past grudges resurface. I'd be minding my own business if I were you. Well, if your business wasn't being handled right in front of my face, maybe I could mind my own business. We have to leave. Now. Why the rush all of a sudden? We're in trouble. If it isn't little Reldarsoyth. Hey, Yorick. <laughs> Long time no see. Rose already knows you're here. Oh. Look who decided to come home. Reldar must confront his origin. I must admit, I never saw this as being a part of your past, Softshell. Or let it define his future. I will get what is owed to me, no matter the cost. Because what Roz is trying to do is wrong. Says you. My blasters. We're going to need these. Take that, Slavo. <laughs> Who do you think you are? The Adventures of the Zolan Dart, Episode 2, coming soon. Welcome to the Star Wars Show, the best place for below average Star Wars. I am the Geordie Jedi Pete. I am Jason Hondo Ling. And I'm the Canon Junkie XL Ian. And we are back with a brand new episode to talk about Star Wars Ahsoka, streaming now on Disney+. Plus. We're going to be reviewing episode 4, which is titled Part 4, Fallen Jedi. Ian, obviously... This is the first time you've joined us to talk about Ahsoka, so before we dive into sort of the review of the episode, and there's a lot to talk about because it was a fantastic episode, just wait, what what were your overall thoughts of like the first three episodes and how excited were you going in episode four? Uh, really excited, yeah. It's been it's been a really good start. Uh, the first couple of episodes I thought were really good, and then the third one really piqued my interest when it came out about the... Uh, Stuff with the other galaxies and all that type of stuff. Uh, so yeah, no, really, really happy where they're going so far. And like I said, in episode four, which we'll talk about in a minute, there's a few twists and turns in that that I wasn't expecting. So it's doing a very good job of not being 
exactly what I thought it would be, and I like that. It is. It certainly is a, a wild ride, isn't it? Ian, um, sorry, Jason, what were your thoughts as you sat down ready to watch the episode? Were you pumped for it? Were you expecting something special? Um, knowing that this episode was going to be directed by Dave Filoni, I, I knew something was going to be special. Um, also, it was the telltale sign when you clicked on Disney Plus to watch the episode and all they told you was that it was um, part four and there was no title. They've to, done that with um, every episode so far. Have they? I, the, this was the first time I'd noticed it because I know they've done it before in Mandalorian. So I um, once it, when it first airs, there's, they're just titled like part one, part two, part whatever. And then I think once... um. Once people have to watch it, 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 it then throughout the day changes to its actual title. But it was I'm I'm so glad I didn't know what it was because obviously I sort of guessed that a certain person was gonna appear at some point. But I um no, I was really looking forward to it. Um again I I woke up early to watch it in the early hours of the morning and yeah, I just Sat there by the by the time I went to work at eight o'clock, I'd already watched the episode twice. So um, yeah, I was really into it. So I'd had um, surgery the day before, um, so I was sort of I'd woken up probably around three o'clock in the morning on Wednesday morning, struggling a bit, but I'd come downstairs and obviously watched it and loved it. Um, so it was a nice little thing to take my mind off of what I'd been through the day before. Um, so let's just dive in and we'll give a, a quick synopsis of the episode and then, um, then we'll get our thoughts on it. So uh, it's episode four of Ahsoka, streaming now on Disney+. Plus. It's called Part 4, Fallen Jedi, directed by Peter Ramsey, written by Dave Filoni, as every episode is in the series, aired on September 5th, 2023. Uh, and essentially Ahsoka is thinking about the implications of reaching the throne in Ezra Bridger. Um, given Sabine's sort of pause since she remains determined to find her friend. Um, while this is going on, they're attacked by several of uh, Bane and Skull's forces. Um, these are sort of the HK droids and the mercenaries, as opposed to the force wielders. Um, and they're able to hold them off quite well. We get an awesome droid fight. Um, which, which is awesome. Um, fearing that, Balin will acquire the coordinates of Thrones location, Ahsoka and Sabine. Uh, head to his base, or intercepted by uh, Shin in Morocco. Um, obviously, lightsaber battles all over the place here. Uh, Sorga duels Morocco and defeats him um, quite easily, I would say. Um, Sabine takes on Shin. Um, there's a cool little moment where we sort of realise that Sabine's not force sensitive, or where Shin realises that. Which is really cool. Um, Soka reaches Balin at the sort of the place I'm calling the map room or the map cliff um, in an attempt to stop them from getting the coordinates to, to reach Thrawn and Ezra Bridger. Um, quite an intense lightsaber battle takes place. Um, Soka is able to retrieve the map and stop the coordinates being sent up to. Um, the big hyperspace ring that's going to be taking 
Thrawn's friends to him and perhaps bringing him back maybe with a Star Destroyer there's a bit of shenanigans goes on um, and Ahsoka is sent over the cliff edge um, doesn't seem like she's died in my opinion um, obviously Sabine sees that um, she holds the map at gunpoint Balin's able to sort of manipulate that and saying, you know, I'll take you to see Ezra. If you just give me the map, come of your own free will, and we'll do that. Um so they're able to finish getting their coordinates out of the out of the map. Um to which then Balin then destroys the map. Very cool with the lightsaber. Um and they all go on board. When I say they all I mean Shin, Balin and Sabine go on board the ISI on. Um at the same time, a small fleet of New Republic fighters led by Harrison Dulan, the ghost, arrives um, at Cedos. Try to stop the freighter from jumping into hyperspace, but it fails. Um, and then we get the ending where Ahsoka appears to awake in the world between worlds, which is seemingly reunited with her former master, Anakin Skywalker. Um, Let's just dive in at, sort of at the at, at the beginning here. You know, I think the end of the last episode. You know, we see Bane say they're gonna we're gonna send the forces in, um, and then we see them arrive here. We get an awesome fight between um, the droid fight between Hu Yang and um, an HK forty seven droid, which is really cool. And then obviously the Jedi droids able to alert the Soka. Um, and Sabine to come outside and take care of all of these mercenaries. What were your thoughts on the opening of the episode, um, Ian? And sort of did it take you by surprise at all of what was going on? Yeah, like I said, it starts off from the uh, previous episode where we see uh, Bale and send his, uh, how do they call it in Star Trek? Red shirts, obviously the disposable characters in to yeah. deal, with the, uh, deal with the people. Obviously, we all know that's not going to do anything. Uh, it was really cool to see Hugh Yang... Uh, Take up robot boxing. I thought it was pretty cool. He uh, he had some moves. He was. Uh, it looks like he'd been training. I did. It was a small part of me that wanted him to whip out the lightsabers and see if he could use them. But I'll take him boxing a HK eighty seven droids to uh, to a knockout. And then uh, yeah, it was really cool seeing uh, Sabine and Ahsoka work together. I thought the teamwork was really good. I also liked the bit, obviously foreshadowing later, but I did like the bit where obviously Hugh Yang says, "Stay together." Uh, you always are better when you're together, and they're like, yeah. And it's nice to see them have a bit of levity, levity in that situation. However, obviously, they don't heed his warning; they don't stay together, and that's where I feel like the real turn in this episode took place. Yeah, definitely. I think one of the things I loved was that when when the power goes off in the ship, which is the trick that Hu Yang does to alert them that something's wrong. Sabine's like he's lost the power, but Ahsoka straight away is like he wouldn't. And it's like ignites the saber, it's forcing out the hatch. Um, which goes through just how much I trust this character, um, this droid, which I think says a lot. Says a lot about him. Um one one thing one thing I'm enjoying is how they're building up uh Thrawn. Like we haven't seen him yet. He's been mentioned, but every time he's mentioned, you do get a impending sense of dread that if this guy comes back, there's gonna be serious problems because as Hera says, he's not your normal Imperial officer. And for the wider audience, people who haven't read Air to the Empire, haven't seen Rebels and that, they don't know who Thrawn is. 
but by just we haven't like I said we haven't seen him yet, but yet we you do feel his presence overarching on this show like he is going to come. I, I'm pretty sure he is going to make it back to the No Galaxy, and that's where Dave Filoni's movie is going to lead. I might be wrong with that, but yeah, I do like how they're building up uh, the return of Grand Admiral Thrawn. I think he's. I think Thrawn's got a lot of proof because I think in this world, the, the current canon, you know, he, he sort of skips all of the Civil War. Yeah. So you know, I think like I think when he comes back, depending on what he's got out there with him and what he can find when he gets back, whether these Imperial remnants that get behind him or not, I think he's got a lot to prove because, like I said, he sat out basically. All he did was deal with some rebels on the fall. I think then, that was the case in uh, Star Wars Legends as well, where he was out in the unknown regions building up the uh, what was it called? Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know. I don't know if I have, but the Empire of the Hand, which was obviously something out in the unknown regions to obviously fight against intergalactic invaders and all that type of thing, which is which is quite funny now that he's in another galaxy. So yeah, but obviously we all know how deadly he is. But like I said the great, the wider audience don't. Yeah, and I think that's why, and I think that's why the we discussed it on last episode. I think that's why the New Republic are a bit like, well, just the Imperial officer. Like, what's the problem? Um, yeah, I put, a, I put, a, um, like a, I can't remember, it X tweet, whatever. I put a tweet out the other day saying I don't blame the New Republic for being complacent because the vast majority of senators and people in the galaxy won't know who Thrawn is. It's only the military of the rebellion who fought against him who know who he is. Then they just say, oh. A Grand Admiral been missing. Uh, all right then. Like I, I don't blame them for being complacent. Jason, what were your thoughts on obviously you know the the take care of the the cannon fodder, the red shirts, pretty quickly, the HK droids and the the mercenaries, and then we see Maroc and Shin come out. What were your thoughts on? I suppose first of all, your thoughts on Maroc versus Ahsoka. Um. For me, that was something that obviously with over the last week, I think we've all been starting to get with the whole furor over who is Maroc. And I was so pleased with the way this turned out. And I'll say it again because I say it so many times. I always trust Filoni. And I was convinced that it wasn't going to be some character that they were bringing back for the sake of bringing back. And the way this, you know, obviously he was fighting Ahsoka, clearly um, a very skilled um, Inquisitor. Um, and from the way he eventually fell, I believe he was probably an Inquisitor that was had almost been zombified and returned um, by probably some sort of magic from... Um, uh, uh, was Morgan Elspeth, and I, I, I believe that's where he's come from, which I thought was brilliant and absolutely the right way to go with that character. I mean, it's one of the things where I, I thought he was cannon fodder as well. Really, you know, he blocks some of Ahsoka's battles, but as soon as he starts getting the big licks and spinning the saber, you know, Ahsoka just takes him out with one swish, the blade. Similar to how we've seen, I definitely. Do it. Similar to how we're seeing to do it in um, Tales of the Jedi as well. Um, as for Maroc, is he dead? Where did that dust go? I don't know. Um, did he fly away somewhere? To get a new I, suit? I, I thought it was very reminiscent to uh, Savage oppressing the Clone Wars. Obviously, he was enhanced by Night Sister magic. And then, obviously, when Sidious kills him in the Clone Wars, you obviously see 
all that magic leak out and he goes back to how he was before he was in hand. So I, I thought it was very reminiscent of that. Yeah. Yeah. When he was. Um, so I imagine we'll get a nice little data entry on him down the line um, on the data bank on stars.com at all if he give a bit of stuff. But yeah, you know, he didn't really stop Ahsoka at all. You know, I think I said last week, you know, I said Ahsoka would fight him and defeat him and go on to fight Balin in this episode, which I was proved right on. Um, Ian, what did you make of uh, Shin versus Sabine 2? Uh, really good. I still get the Im- impression that Sabine is out of the depth fighting Shin. It's not going to be one of the cases where she beat her once and all of a sudden she has like a rocky moment, come back and beat her. She used her Mandalorian trickery instead of like, she goes to force push her and I've seen, a, I've seen a few people saying, oh, was that like a slap in the force when she moves ahead? I think she was just anticipating that she was going to be force pushed and obviously didn't then realise that it didn't work and then obviously Sabine uses her wrist rockets to disarm her and then obviously Shin runs away. I did really enjoy it. I am fascinated by both villains, but Shin Hattie and Balin Skull for me are some of the best villains introduced into Star Wars in a long time. Uh Shin Hattie just for how she acts and all that type of thing, and Bale and Skull is just a fascinating character. So yeah, I'm really am digging the villains in this show. Uh, I get that they're actually a threat. Like sometimes you have a villain, but you know they're not a threat to the main characters. But I could see Bale and, and Shin being a threat moving down the road. Moving down the road. Jason, what were your thoughts on Ahsoka versus Shin too? Sorry, on air. The, this for me was absolutely brilliant. Um, again, we clearly see it. We see an improvement in Sabine, and I think it's quite visible. And I think that's, you know, it sort of gives credence now that you see in the episodes. We see now why she was so clunky in that first battle, because obviously it'd been a long time since she trained with the lightsaber. Um, she'd stepped away from everything that she'd been taught by Ahsoka, so she was caught off guard. Now, she still isn't as adept with the lightsaber as obviously Shin is, but she's definitely showing more improvement. And also, she's using the skills that she's got as a Mandalorian. And again, um, this is something that came out in a previous episode where they were in the space battle and where it became obvious that Ahsoka had to sort of hand over control to Sabine because she was the one that was skilled in the the battle in, in space. So now I think we're seeing Sabine sort of embracing both sides, you know, seeing it when she goes out with the blasters against the droids and uses everything that's when you see Sabine as the Mandalorian warrior that she is and that we, you know, remember from Rebels. Here, she's clearly started to improve from Ahsoka's training, but she's got a long way to go, whereas Shin is obviously a lot further forward than um, Sabine. And I've got a theory on the whole Shin and Balin thing because obviously Balin is showing has shown throughout that he's not a clear dark Jedi. You know, he he's torn. Um, he he saw the fall of the Jedi, and he's he he just 
is a bit disillusioned with it all in a similar way to Ahsoka is. Um, and I, I strongly feel that there's a big possibility that we're going to see almost a rebirth of the Sith idea because I think Shin is possibly going to become more powerful than Balin um, because she's embracing the dark side. Um, and I think we could possibly even see the apprentice destroy the master uh, as the Sith law goes, um, which is something I'm just sort of the, the sort of vibes I'm getting from it all. Um, obviously, you know, the battle that we then get with Balin and Ahsoka, um, you know, he's got a very, he sees Ahsoka as the enemy, um, for and almost as a war criminal, um, like she says, like or like's been I know it's been said before, like the separatists did, you know, they they weren't clearly just the bad guys, they had a genuine reason for believing that the separatists movement was the better way to go. Um, so Balin, obviously, you know, and he's also, you know, very protective of Shin. But we also see a very protective nature of Ahsoka, which is something that, you know, sort of comes through that obviously her and Sabine have a very strong relationship that's led to this point. Definitely. I think a few things I want to talk about to dial it back a little bit. Um, obviously, Sabine, I think, you know, when Sabine fought Shin the first time, Sabine wasn't only just not using the lightsaber, she wasn't even using the blasters or her armor. Like they were all in a bag mm. and the table hadn't been touched in ages. Do you know what I mean? So like it was very much yeah. someone who'd been checked out of all combat. Um, you know what we see up preparing here. You know, like a gear's there ready. You know, she's getting her blasters ready, her armor ready. Um, you know, she's done some training. Um, you know, for me, I think when she goes to use the force, I wouldn't say she goes to use force. She puts her hand doesn't she? Like stop her, and then that is when Shin's expecting the force push. And then Shin actually says, you have no power, because she realises that she didn't actually touch her. Nothing happened. But obviously, that's when Sabine just quickly goes wrist rocket, bam, disarms her, before Shin does the Batman trick with the mist and uh, runs away. Um, which was really, really good. Um, I think Balin's a... He's almost... You know, he talks about losing his faith, so he's lost his faith. He doesn't have faith anymore. Um, obviously, but the only thing he knows is the way the Jedi... And that's how he's brought Shin up as a part of one, and obviously the, but the the mercenaries for hire really, and you know, for me, I think Balin's caught up in where like he wants to just do as he's been paid to do, but also like you know we've, we've heard him say he didn't really want to have to kill another Jedi if he could avoid it, but once she turns up, he's very much like, you know, trying to give her a little bit of verbal, verbal stick here, for the past and the stuff, but it's like. You were part of that order as well, mate, and like you, the Jedi fell on on your watch as well. Um, so, do you know what I mean? I think he's, I think he's very much maybe trying to push out the lessons he sees for himself on other people when he's having this dialogue with the Soga. Um, as for what will happen, you know, I think you know we see it when she chokes, when she's choking Sabine, and obviously he asks her to stop because he's you know he's made a deal with her, and she stops. You know, I think down the line, I think she hasn't been brought up in the way, that, like in the Jedi Temple. She's been brought up by Balin. 
but like not not under the watch of the Jedi, if that makes sense. So I think like she could very well like n- not want to go by her master's rulings and then yeah, turn on him and go go and run things on her own, I think could could quite well be a possibility. What was um what was your thoughts, Ian, on the on sort of what went down sort of after the lightsaber battles have all finished? Oh, so the the bit with Sabine, yeah, that was the main part of the episode that, that threw me. Obviously, uh, Ahsoka assumes Sabine is dead, and then it's quite interesting because it was mentioned in a previous episode that she uses her anger and obviously force pushes uh, Shin into a wall, potentially using the dark side, and that obviously unbalances her, and that leaves her unbalanced, and that obviously allows Balin to get the upper hand on her, which I, I like that, obviously, because it was mentioned in a previous episode. And uh, then, obviously, she realizes Sabine's alive, and tells him tells uh, her to destroy the map. But I'm quite shocked that obviously he knocks her off the cliff, and then I'm quite shocked that she gave him the map. We find out the obviously the the major spoiler thing is that her family did die on Mandalore. He obviously uses the Force to look into her mind. Obviously knows about Ezra, knows about her family, so he knows her family died in the obviously the night of a thousand tears in the Mandalorian purge. So he uses that to manipulate her, uh, very Darth Sidious like, if you like. And uh, then he she gives him the map, which was which was a part I was like, oh wow, I, I didn't expect that. I expected her to do something, try and throw it away or something, or try and destroy it. But she willingly gave him the map and willingly went. He's going with them. So that that's a really interesting twist that I did not see coming. I think it had to happen because I mean, now they need to trace where they've gone, and if they have to do that through Sabine sending coordinates back or something like that, like so at least Sabine's there now, so they've got someone there who they can track to where they've gone. If that makes sense. Um, but yeah, I think that's right. You know, I think Shin turns up, doesn't she, towards the end of the battle between Ahsoka and Balin. And you know, see, you see it on Ahsoka's face. All right, Sabine's been killed here. And touch, you know, you see, I'd be a bit more aggressive, unbalanced with the Force, but the dark side coming in, and that's where Balin's able to take advantage. Um, one thing I didn't notice was when when Balin slices off the cliff, he definitely doesn't connect with her. So Ahsoka falls off that cliff, but I, I don't think she's been hit with the lightsaber. So to me, I don't think Ahsoka's dead. No, I didn't. I didn't. You're dead now. So it's very strange, but but yeah, after that, obviously you have you know Sabine picks up the map, um, has a blaster pointing at it, but Balin's very much able to use the force to manipulate her, and you know she wants to save Ezra. And at this point, probably thinks Ahsoka's gone. So like, what is there else to lose? I suppose. Um, I suppose really, lastly, you know, you know. In the episode, is a sort of sort of. Well, before before we get there, let's talk about the New Republic fleet. So, you know, once all this goes down, Sabine says, "I'll come with you." I noticed they still put her in cuffs, even though she says she will come on her own, which was um, I thought quite strange. Um, when the New Republic fleet turn up and they know that the engines powering off a hyperspace, there's tend to fly towards it. So straight away, I was having visions of um, the Last Jedi when. When snow when um when the the ship goes through light speed through the giant first order cruiser yeah 
And I thought, oh no, something similar's going to happen here. Like, why are they doing that? Um, I'm going to assume that obviously, you know, when the ship, when the Eye of Cylon jumps, obviously causes those two X-wings to crash into each other. I'm assuming those two pilots can just eject and be picked up on the surface of um, Cetos. Otherwise, Hera's got a lot of experience to do in the New Republic if she's killed two pilots for nothing. I don't know what your thoughts were on this on this mini space skirmish. Uh, we'll go to you first, Jason. What are your thoughts on the space skirmish? Yeah, no, it was um, obviously. I think we all knew that um, obviously um, Hera wasn't going to sit back and allow the others to go without her. Um, so the the arrival of the ghost was brilliant. Um, and also the fact that she brought along Carson Tether, who obviously is a character that, like Hera and Ahsoka and Sabine, believe that the Republic is at risk. Um, so he's seeing his involvement was brilliant. I, I was praying they were going to bring Zeb along as well, but um, I see someone says on the internet maybe. Carson's going to have to go back and recruit more pilots to come and help. Um, and maybe that's when we'll see Zeb rejoin the fight, so to speak. Um, but no, this battle, you know, this whole thing, I've got a theory that obviously you see, like someone else have picked up with the hold on manoeuvre, um, where obviously she went straight through the ships as she went into hyperdrive and destroyed everything. Whereas, obviously, the Eye of Sion seemed to go straight past. And the theory I've got is, obviously, the centre of the Eye of Sion is where whatever it's going to link up to with the hyperdrive is going to sit. So I believe that as it went by, it was more the wake of that hyperdrive that took out those ships and not the actual ship taking them out. Um, that's my theory on it, anyway. But um, it was for me. It was just great. The whole episode was great. Star Wars, you know, we had space battles, we had um, lightsaber battles, and we had pure emotion in a lot of the scenes. So it was, it was perfect. Star Wars. Ian, what were your thoughts on the sort of the X wings and the Ghost facing off against ISI on and on Hera Syndulla coming to help our friends? First of all, I just think the way they've got the fleet and the and the shots of the ships looking, they look fantastic. There was another shot later on with the Eye of Sion come through the clouds out into the atmosphere. That looked fantastic as well. Uh, it was really cool to obviously see a Phoenix leader again, which is obviously a nod back to the Rebels days. It was also cool to see Brendan Wayne, obviously the man, the stunt uh, main stunt guy behind uh, the Mandalorian, obviously was an X-Wing pilot in this. I think that's really cool to see his face on screen. He's normally doing the stuff for the Mandalorian. It was nice to see him on screen. Uh, yeah, no, the the hyperspace jump for the Eye of Sion was, obviously it's got a lot of hyperdrives on it and it's attempted to do something we haven't seen in Star Wars before, obviously traversed to another galaxy. So I always thought it might look a bit different, but I liked how it basically ripped a hole in space to get to where it's going. It's not like normal hyperspace jumps are quite gentle they just nip off but this one you could feel like quite visceral a visceral reaction when it like ripped through space to get to where it's going yeah definitely so as i hope when the pilots are safe and sound they can just retrieve them from the from the planet's surface of the Cetos. um 
It's going to be a strange one because I imagine next episode we're going to have to have Hera getting together with uh, Hugh Yang and Sabine to figure out, sorry, Hugh Yang and possibly Ahsoka, sorry, to figure out what to do next. Um, and obviously the end of the episode is Ahsoka waking up in the world between worlds um, and seeing Anakin Skywalker. Um, go to you first, Ian. Obviously, for me, the world between worlds, I, I thought there were certain endless points to the world between worlds. So it seems like she's just appeared in there because she's fell in some water. I don't know what your thoughts are on, on, on that. Uh, obviously, back in Rebels, she got pulled into the world between worlds by Ezra Bridger. So whether we don't know who this is yet, we don't know if that is Anakin Skywalker. We don't know. Like That's the that's the main thing. Obviously, it looks like Anakin Skywalker and it sounds like Anakin Skywalker. The theme at the end of the episode had me very nervous because that's not Anakin Skywalker's theme, that's Darth Vader's theme. So, but uh, no, yeah, maybe this is Anakin Skywalker who was, maybe he previously got into the world between worlds before the Clone Wars, during the Clone Wars and all, and he's done what Ezra did for Ahsoka there and pulled her out. It's So it's going to be really interesting to see what they do with this because, like I said, next week we're going to see some crazy stuff because you can just, it's such a, wide canvas of what you can do within that space. I've seen people say it's time travel. It's not time travel. It's it's a place outside time and space. So I'm really interested to see what they do next. So my impression is that she's been pulled in there by Anakin Skywalker, Darth, whoever whoever this is. Yeah. I've seen some theories actually as well that apparently you can hear the sun in the first episode of the Ahsoka series and obviously there has been we have seen Sam Witwer credited on this show so is that the son? Obviously we saw Morai die and uh, uh, the daughter die and then obviously she's become this spirit animal type thing for Ahsoka is the son still out there? Is the son from the Mortis arc in the Clone Wars still out there and is this potentially him uh, within the world between worlds? Quite possibly. So just to, just to clarify, the world between worlds—it's not time travel, and it's not a multiverse. Um, it's sort of like a pocket dimension. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, Yoda very much talks about the multiverse. It's established in Empire Strikes Back, uh, with essentially visions and possibilities. Always, always in motion is the future. Do you know what I mean? So it's 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 not. You know, it's already been set up that way with that line. Um. But yeah, I thought you know, I didn't know if we'd actually see Anakin or not or hear him, but we we did, which was absolutely fantastic. Um, so it is just a case of like what what is going to happen next, and next episode are we going to be in the world between worlds? Who who knows? And is that actually Anakin Skywalker as a Force Ghost or Force Spirit, or, or is it somebody else doing something different? Who knows? Um, Jason, what was your thoughts on the on the sort of the final scene of the whole episode that we've just been discussing? I think obviously, like everyone, it sort of took our breaths away as soon as we saw, you know, that at last we were getting Hayden and um, Ros- um, Rosario together um, to perform as these characters and. You know, it was, like we say, there's the foreshadowing, you know, what we see is Anakin. 
and the way he speaks to Ahsoka, you know, the snips, um, and the whole thing is very friendly. But then the Darth Vader thing sort of thinks, yeah, the, the, we're we're being lulled into a full sense of security here. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing where... I think we're going to see heartbreak for Ahsoka and that she's going to have to go through the whole process of turning away from her master again and, you know, leaving him in the world between worlds. Um, and the effects, uh, uh, obviously, the, uh, as per usual, the Star Wars fandoms criticised the effects. You know, one minute there wasn't enough de-aging, now there's too much de-aging. Um, but I've got a feeling with this one that, um, for me, Hayden had almost like, I know obviously the background in the whole sequence was blue, but he had a false ghost appearance about me. So I'm, I'm beginning to think, you know, the theory of possibly the sun creating this image, similar to what obviously Palpatine in the World Between Worlds previously had shown himself as um, Chief Palpatine until he turned to the um, the Emperor once Ezra saw through him. So I'm wondering if we're doing a similar sequence with this, you know, is this Vader showing us over what she wants to see, but is then going to try and pull her to the darkness sort of thing. So there's a lot going on here, and I, I, that's why I'm looking forward to the next episode. Um, seeing Hayden back was brilliant. Um, and I'm really looking forward to him getting a chance to shine in the next episode. But I have a feeling that will be his episode. We will see. I mean, you know, there's eight episodes in the season. This one that we're talking about, Fall in July, is the halfway point. Um, there's still a lot of season to go. And, you know, if you think this is going to end with Thrawn popping up at the end, right? I can't really do four more episodes of waiting for Thrawn. Do you know what I mean? So I, I think the next episode could be completely in the world between worlds. Yeah. I think that as well, yeah. Yeah. But time will tell. I do have um, I do have a theory of what it could be. I don't know if this will be I don't know if this will pan out, but I obviously we've always seen that Ahsoka has never truly gotten over what her master became. So I I don't know whether she will be put in the world between worlds by Anakin to show her, look, no matter what you did, I was gonna turn and it was always my destiny to turn at the end of obviously Return of the Jedi. And I think there will be like a re Ahsoka reborn at the end of this. And potentially this is where I could see her donning the white robes after she comes out of the world between worlds. There's potentially Gandalf the White and all that type of stuff. I do wonder if that's the case, whether this is her chance to now get over her master's fall to the dark side, realise there's nothing she can do. Obviously, we've seen people levy at her that she's abandoned him and that, and she probably feels that there's certain uh, responsibility for his fall as well. So I wonder if that could be the case, whether we see them dueling uh, like at the time of Revenge of the Sith and 
Yeah, and then she's pulled out, and then she's reborn as obviously Ahsoka the White. Yeah, because obviously you know at the end of Star Wars Rebels, you know Ahsoka very much turns up as Ahsoka the White. Both know Dave Filoni is very much influenced by Tolkien and um, the lore of Tolkien. Um, obviously, this season, you know, we've seen that end of Rebels sort of redone, pretty much like for like the Muriel, the ship turning up, the same steps, Sabine wearing the same hair, same armor. But obviously, Ahsoka was different. She was still Ahsoka in the normal garb. Um, so maybe he's done that on purpose. Dave will know that he hasn't done that when he's done it. And he'll know that we're actually going to make uh, the white Ahsoka the white here at this point in the next episode, quite possibly. Um, it's, quite, it's quite interesting that that staff at the end of Rebels looks a little bit like the Eye of Sion as well. Does indeed, doesn't it? Does indeed. Any closing thoughts on the world between worlds, Ian? No, no, just really. I just think next week we're going to see some absolute crazy stuff, I won't swear. <laughs> Any closing thoughts or questions about the world between worlds, Jason? No, just like Ian, just really looking forward to seeing what's going to happen. Um, and, you know, love the ride that Dave Filoni's taking us on at the moment. Dave and obviously the whole crew, you know, I think, you know, the whole cast are doing a fantastic job. You know, I think that the, the score is awesome. The visual effects are awesome. Um, you know, this one was directed by Peter Ramsey. You know, I think he's done some stuff for the Spyverse movies. Um, did he do uh, what's Game of Thrones show? It's not Game of Thrones. House of Dragon. Possibly. Yeah. Yeah, I think he I'm pretty sure he he did. So he's obviously used to, to big, obviously impactful shows like this. Yeah, so you know I think there's a lot of a lot of people behind the scenes doing some really, really good stuff. Um Yeah, and uh, another thing that um has struck me about these episodes is obviously there's been a lot of talk about how short the episodes are but for me that is Dave Filoni's style of writing the episodes are short but not a single second is wasted there's storytelling all the way through and from the point that you start to the point that you've finished you took on a journey um, and the directors obviously have had to work you know, in a quick time frame. Um, obviously, it stems back, I think, from Dave's work in animation. But for me, that's that's a strong point for this series. You know, at the moment, we're, what, we're coming up to the fifth episode, and I don't think there's a single part of any of it that you could call filler. I don't think it's going to be eight episodes long. I think what you've got to remember as well is that there'll be a lot of deleted scenes and stuff deleted out. That doesn't make the final episode. So, so yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not really, I don't really buy too much into like, run, would I rather be longer? I'd always rather have more to watch, but like, I don't get upset over run times. Like, do, do, do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. So, yeah. But for, but for me, this is the most Star Wars, like a George Lucas Star Wars I've ever felt since obviously Disney bought Star Wars. This feels very George Lucas to me. And like I said, it's not. It's not a surprise, obviously, seeing that it's Dave who's doing it. So obviously, he's he's George's uh, Padawan. So no, this this really does feel like George Lucas Star Wars to me. What are your thoughts for the next episode, Ian? What do you think is going to happen? Oh, let's go crazy! Right, I think that we will see Darth Vader. I think that's pretty obvious with the theme. I think we'll see that. 
I don't believe that that is just Anakin Skywalker standing there. I have, like Jason said, I think they are using it. Nice smiling Anakin to lure us into a false sense of security. I do think there will be something going on. I do think we will go back and see possible recreations of Clone Wars stuff. Like in live action, I think we'll see a younger Ahsoka because obviously we got that in the trailer where we hear Hayden talking about, oh, uh, in this war you'll face more than droids. So I do believe that we'll go back and see a younger Ahsoka, potentially a Captain Rex. And I think we will see Ahsoka in Revenge of the Sith, if you know what I mean. Maybe she's there with Obi-Wan to confront Anakin at the end of... At the end of Revenge of the Sith on Mustafa, something like that. I think we will see. I'd like. There's a reason they're releasing this one in the cinema. I think this is going to be absolutely crazy. This next episode. It's only in the cinema for select fan screenings, or is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just not in. It's not in general, but yeah. But just the fact they're releasing it in some cinemas means. I think you've got to be invited, no matter what they did at the beginning. Yeah. Meaning they're not going to just put that in just for the sake of it. I do think this will be. Truly mind-blowing this next episode. Jason, what's your thoughts on the next episode? What's going to happen? Yeah, uh, similar to Ian, you know, I think we're going to see... I I think this is possibly someone or something trying to corrupt Ahsoka. Um, and I think, as I say, I think this episode's going to be heartbreaking because it's, again, where she's going to have to turn her back on Anakin. Um, so I'm really looking forward to just seeing where the adventure goes. Um, but you know, at the moment, this series has not let down at any point, and it just seems to be getting stronger and stronger. I see today they released that at the moment it's got a hundred percent rating on Rotten Tomatoes and nine out of ten, I think it was on IMDb, which just goes to show how even with the few negative things that you see, it's really, really been embraced. Yeah, I think the show's doing well. You know, I think there's been a few things about Rotten Tomatoes and how it's maybe a bit more corrupt than we think. Yeah. Um, so I I'm not saying that, too enough. much onto that, but you know, I think the majority of people I speak to and I say are talking about it. I haven't really seen any negatives at all, to be honest with you. Um, so the people in my circles are just, enjoying it. Which just, I'm enjoying it, which is good. Um, Just going back to Jason's point there about obviously someone corrupting Ahsoka. There was a point where obviously Morgan says that Thrawn calls out to me across time and space. I don't believe that's Thrawn. That's not Thrawn. That is someone else. And that this could be the person that obviously Jason alludes to could be trying to corrupt. Thrawn will not be able to call across time and space. So I'm very intrigued to see who that could be. Yep. I think I just, I just want to end talking about the episode title, so it was called Fallen Jedi. Um, so for me, I think it could refer to, you know, the lost souls of the Jedi. You know, Anakin Skywalker was a lost soul. could be referring to him. He was a fallen Jedi. Uh, Balin and Shin, you know, two people who still are training and working in the Jedi way, but, like, on Jedi. Um, it could be talking about those who have been let down by the Jedi, like Sabine, who was let down by Ahsoka here, and by Ahsoka, who was let down by Anakin in the Jedi Order and the Clone Wars. Um Fallen Jedi could also mean Ezra Bridger, who you know gave everything, sacrificed everything to help his friends and his planet. Um, who is sort of 
you know, we're going to see at the end of this season here, but it could be about him as well. So I, I just thought 400 Jedi was a great title. I thought you, you could tie it into sort of a lot of characters who are appearing here. I thought, so I thought it was a really, 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 really nice and really emotional title. Any closing points for this episode or anything that we've seen so far in Ahsoka, Ian? No, nothing. Like I said, this I'm just really enjoying it. Like I said, I, I get a true George Lucas feel about this series, and I think Dave just Dave just gets it. I think I think he just gets it, and he he's doing a great job. And long may it continue. And this is why I'm so happy he got he got a film. Jason, anything about Ahsoka you want to talk about before we wrap it up? No, I can only reiterate exactly what Ian said there. You know the this is going in the right direction um, and I just can't wait to see what's coming next. Would you want to go to Ahsoka Series 2 or would you want this to go to the movie? Um, I'm hoping, I think there's going to be more story to be told. Obviously, we know that the next season of Mandalorian is already supposedly being written which would make me think that that's going to carry on from this. Um, whether there's going to be another season of Ahsoka that would then lead into the film, um, I'm not sure. Um, you know, that's in the... I think everything is hard to guess at the moment because Disney's in a very strange place where they're trying to get their heads around everything. Um, you know, Bob Iger's making waves with different things that he's doing. Um, Disney Plus is a very different beast to what Disney's dealt with in the past. Um, and, yeah, it's I, I think it's possibly going to be the Mandalorian Season 4. Then we're going to get um, moved on to the movie. Obviously, everyone wants a second season of Ahsoka because everyone wants more Star Wars. Um, but obviously, you know, to get the film out in the time frame that they're looking at or that they've said initially, um, would Dave be able to concentrate on another season of Ahsoka during that time when he should really be doing the prep work and the filming for the film? So my my theory is this is a one time deal. We've got the Mandalorian, and then I think they're ready to wrap it up with the movie. Maybe I think the biggest thing there is obviously, you know, nothing's in production right now. Andor's been stood down um, while the strike goes on. Nothing is getting made. No, I know, but the the plans were already there. This is this is where these series are going. Are working at the moment because everything's been planned and I think they're you know I don't think they're just saying we're going to give Dave Filoni a film without knowing what that film is already going to be but do you think that the longer this goes on is the more because things do change and it's not a concrete plan for like in my opinion you know like Mandel did well so they did some spin-offs you know they were going to do a Rangers of the New Republic, remember? Like, we've seen the graphics for it and everything. Um, like, do you know what I mean? Like, it's very much to do. It's not like concrete, concrete. Um, oh, so no. To I me, think... 
I think the longer the strike goes on, stuff isn't getting made, is the more time other people have the chance to change their mind. To be fair, I think the Rangers thing only only got shelved because obviously the Gina Carano stuff. So I, I just think that I think that was probably outside of their wheelhouse. And I I think it's blatantly obvious that a lot of that got amalgamated into um, what was the Mandalorian. Um, but I, I no, I get what you're saying, Pete. Obviously, plans do change. I I, I just think that with I think that they're probably going to be playing a patience game. And the problem is with Star Wars, obviously, if they start messing around and they don't have a plan, we've seen quite drastically what can go wrong. So do you, are you wanting to... Are we saying that Disney need to give the writers and actors what they want and then get the strike done so we can get our Star Wars back straight away? <sighs> The whole strike thing is a complicated thing and it's going to be, and obviously Disney are one of the biggest problems with the strike at the moment. Um, I can completely get where the actors are coming from. Um, And I think it's, you know, the whole strike process is going to cause a lot of damage to the industry over the longer it goes on. So they need to be working very, very hard to get that sorted. You know, potentially, we're looking at the beginning of next year, there there being a lot and lot of repeats of programmes on television. And, you know, with stuff not being made, it's just going to damage everyone. You know, it's not just causing the damage to the companies, it's the damage to the actors' careers afterwards if stuff's shut down for too long. Um, you know, they could be losing shows left, right and centre. We've already heard quite a raft of announcements of stuff that's being canned. Um, yeah. Which, you know, could also be just positioning the, the companies, putting pressure on the actors by canning these shows. Well, I think the problem you've got is that, you know, it's the executives who make the decisions, right? So, you know, Bob Iger is not going to suffer. Off, off, if Disney don't make our show for the next two years, he's fine. It's everyone who was involved in making that show who's going to lose money. And the fans are going to lose out not playing the show. And the problem is they don't want to play ball because I, I don't know why, but it's a fair deal, in my opinion, about what, what the writers and actors are asking for. Um, and there's some smaller studios who are happy to, to do it and they're making stuff. But I think, you know, so it's these big executives who aren't affected by the strike because they're not, because the 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 billionaires, do you know what I mean? They could not work. They could not make one more dollar for the rest of life, and they'd be fine. And they're the people who are making the decision. I'm afraid. So it's 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 a it's a tough one, but I think it's I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. To be honest with you. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, and I think as television viewers, you know, we're going to suffer for a while with this. Um, and it it's a sad state that it's got to that the the execs are holding it, it ransom. Because they don't want to back down and give, you know, which is basically what a lot of it is, is they don't want to back down, um, which is just doing more damage and good. Indeed. Ian, any closing Star Wars thoughts? Any new Star Wars things you want to talk about before we wrap it up? Uh, I was super excited yesterday when we got the announcement about uh, the new novel coming from uh, John Jackson Miller. 
the Living Force. Uh, that's really exciting. I really enjoyed his Kenobi novel, the old Legends one. He also did a uh, a New Dawn, which I believe is the first canon novel ever. John Jackson Miller, yeah. So that's exciting. Yeah, do you want to talk through the premise of the book? The premise, I've skimmed over it briefly, is it's set a year before The Phantom Menace and Qui-Gon Jinn implores the Jedi Council. They're uh, they're shutting down an old, potentially High uh, Republic-era temple on a world in the Outer Rim somewhere, and uh, he implores them to get out in the galaxy with they're becoming very... uh, As you see at the time of the prequels, they're... They're very much isolated on Coruscant, the Jedi Order. They're not out in the galaxy where, like we see in the High Republic. So he implores uh, the Jedi Council. So all 12 members of the Jedi Council go to this planet and then enemies of the Jedi see this as an opportunity to kill all 12 members of the Jedi Council at once, obviously dealing a hammer blow to the Jedi Order. So yeah, that is uh, basically the premise of the book, a year before the Phantom Menace, and I believe it's out April 9th next year, which I'm super excited about. Does it sounds very exciting? It almost sounds like it could be like the end of the High Republic era, like that last little bit tying into the prequel trilogy, which could be quite cool. Um, so excited for that. Um, I want to talk about the ghost. Uh, obviously, the vintage collection ghost did get backed with all four figures. So, anybody who backed the ghost, you will be getting the ghost, you will be getting Hera, Ezra, Kanan, and Zeb, and then they also will be releasing Chopper and Sabine on the same cards as well for sale. So you can have the whole ghost family. Um, so I'm excited. I can't wait for that to turn up. So we've backed it now. They've took the money. The £500 gone. Um, just good. I'm glad it's gone. And they've said that the ghost should ship before December next year. So potentially a nice Christmas present for next Christmas for me. Um, Jason, any closing thoughts about anything Star Wars that you want to talk about before we wrap it up? Um, obviously... Um saw a mass release of Lego um, on September the 1st, um, and I'm pleased to say I have in my grubby mitts the um, advent calendar ready to be built way before December. So um, I'm looking forward to that. I also wanted to, um, because obviously Mandalorian's very popular and cosplaying, and I've talked about it before, um, I want to draw attention to a guy that I've purchase stuff off called um Kaberi um workshop off of Etsy. He's got a sale on at the moment. I've been looking through and he's got some awesome blasters. So if you're interested in it, go and have a look at um the stuff on there because I think there's some real fun weaponry if you're into cosplaying. So that's one that I've noticed today. Um, also, going back to the announcement of John Jackson Miller's book, if you look on his, I, I saw it on Facebook, he's done a, a brilliant um, video with James Arnold Taylor talking about the book, um, with him obviously doing the Obi-Wan voice. Um, that's well worth having a quick look at. Um, I think that is about all. I'm hoping to have some more exciting Star Wars stuff coming up soon, but we'll, we'll keep you in with bated breath with that one. Spam. Ian, where can the people find you on social media? You can find me on Twitter or X, whatever you call it, uh, at The Mandalorian, and you can find me there. Jason, where can the people find you on social media? 
at Hondo Ling, as per usual. And you can find me on Twitter, or X is now called, or Instagram, at Joy Jedi Pete. You can find the podcast on Twitter or X, at Bose Star. And you can find the podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok, at Star Wars Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. May the force be with you all. And remember, always tell that to Kanja Club. Hello, Star Wars listeners. This is Savannah Odit. You might know me as host of The Dorky Diva Show with my co-host Brian Balance. I am also producer of The Adventures of the Zolan Dart, which is a Star Wars-inspired audio drama that we produced over the last year. If you love stories uh, about smugglers, courage, heroic characters, and maybe a few foes along the way, you should go to thedorkydivashow.com and listen to The Adventures of the Zolan Dart today. Shout! We've got your pigs. Were any of the critters harmed? What did you do now? I didn't do anything. I just freaked out for no reason. It was nice doing business with you again. Maybe next time we could deliver something less... Temperamental. <laughs> now, what you call temperamental, I call fun. Hey, is there a place nearby where I can make some repairs? Uh, oh yeah, three clicks south of here, you'll find a small spaceport. Uh, they, they should have what you need, as long as it's nothing too big. Dynamic class. My stars, you don't hear about many of those still being spaceworthy. It's been in my family for a while. She's pretty great. Uh, any chance you have a hovercart we can use to load up? I'll check out the holonet to see if anything new has come up in the sector. My name is Sereth Khan. I am the chief here on Kamai. My people and I have been experiencing food shortages as of late due to unforeseen natural occurrences. We are looking to hire someone. I say we take this one. The pay is great and it's the type of job we're familiar with. Welcome, welcome. You must be Captain Otoa. I've already sent word to Pak to expect you in the next cycle or so. You told him we were coming before we even accepted the job. That's rather presumptuous, isn't it? Uh, perhaps, though once I received confirmation that you were interested and on your way here, I couldn't help but hope. Fair enough. Well, we'll be back as soon as we can. That's not good. Is that blaster fire I hear? Ah, so you're the one. Cabin, it sounds like they want to do this the hard way. <laughs> I love when they got some fight in them. Oh, uh, this is bad. This is bad. We're about to have a lot of company. I'll see you soon. <laughs>